Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Revelation. We are in Revelation chapter 6. Today we will look at verses 1 through 8 of Revelation chapter 6, the first four seals of, of, the, uh, of the seven seals that, that cover the scroll that the Lamb took in His hand from the throne of God. As we look through this, I want us to remember that the book of Revelation is a, what we call apocalyptic prophecy. And in that, it, it, it is full of imagery. It is full of symbolism. And it is full of imagery and symbolism that the original audience would have looked at and said, okay, I, I can understand that. Um, this does not mean anything to us that it did not mean first to them. And so we must keep that in mind. The other thing we must keep in mind is to not be tricked by the typical question that we ask when we look at the book of Revelation. When are you going to get to the important stuff? When are you going to let me know when I can expect Jesus to come back? Well, as far as the book of Revelation is concerned, we have gotten to the important stuff. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 show God sovereignly seated upon his throne. And the second person of the Trinity, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in firm control of all of history, of everything that happens between his ascension into heaven and his return when God comes back to this earth. So as we begin to move through these visions and through the imagery and the symbolism of these visions, we cannot forget chapters four and five. That God is sovereign over his throne and that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is firmly in control of all that happens in this world and especially to his church. And so don't forget that we have covered the important stuff in the book of Revelation. So with those two things in mind, let us begin reading in Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. And the lamb opened the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. Let us pray. Our great God above, you have called us to read and learn from your word. May your Holy Spirit fill us with understanding and wisdom as we study this passage. May your Holy Spirit change us as we learn from these words. Draw us near to the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many times the great question we ask as we look at the book of Revelation is what is life going to be like 
between the first and the second appearance of Jesus on earth. In many ways, the book of Revelation, specifically these these visions that we see between chapter 4 and chapter 19, in many ways, the book of Revelation expands on Jesus' words that we read earlier in Luke chapter 21 and, and also words that we can read in parallel passages in Matthew and in Mark. However, the main way we tend to interpret these passages in the book of Revelation is to say that those threats of war and death are issues that that future pagans will have to live with. And yet, if we truly look and if we truly consider and see the pattern of the book of Revelation, we see that this is a pattern of life that we will go to go through from the time of Jesus ascension into heaven until he returns, a pattern that, yes, intensifies as we move closer to the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But it's a pattern that we live. It's a pattern that works its way out in the world, oftentimes through the persecution of the church. And there is hope in that for us, brothers and sisters, because as I reminded us earlier, chapter four and five reminds us that nothing that happens to the church, nothing that happens to God's people happens outside of the knowledge and the sovereignty of God. Now, Revelation is not a full orbed defense of evil in the, in the presence of an ever loving, ever good God. But it's a call for us to hope and to repent as we look at the things of this world. And so today we are going to look at the four horsemen and the call that the four horsemen give us to live lives that are marked by worship, by rejoicing and by holiness. So first, the four horsemen throughout culture and popular culture, the four horsemen have been themes of art and music and discourse. And so today we are going to look at to see who these four horsemen are. Now, we are in the second vision. We are in the third episode of the second vision as we begin to look at these four horsemen. And and as the Savior holds the scroll in his hand and he opens the seals to reveal God's will for the earth and for the church, we begin to see a progression. Jesus opens the first seal. And the angelic being thunders forth. He says, approach or come or appear. And this first rider rides out on a white horse. Many commentators have looked at this white horse and they've looked at Revelation 19 where the triumphant Christ is shown entering into history on his right horse with the sword of his word, the sword of his mouth to conquer all of his and our enemies. And they said, look, we see Jesus show up Once again, at the beginning of the vision, sovereign over everything that happens again. Well, actually, I I look at other commentators and I see that this is more than likely a, a counterfeit Jesus that is leading forth the rest of this vision as we move forward through the four horsemen. We know from from. Other passages, especially in here where we see Jesus in chapter five as a lamb with seven horns. And later on, we'll see Satan as this great beast with ten horns. We see Jesus as the lamb who was slain and yet lives again. And and Satan is, is presented as the beast with the ten horns, one who is brought back from the brink of death. We see Jesus uh, seated upon his throne in the heavens. And, and Satan, we learn from Pergamum, has 
a, a throne there in Pergamum. Everything Jesus does, Satan tries to counterfeit in order to, to trick the people of God, in order to trick the world into following him. And that's what we see here. The forces of evil moving forward into the world under the authority, under the sovereignty of God. Think of Job chapter one and two, where Job is presented by God as a righteous man. And Satan says, well, he's only righteous because you give him everything he wants. God says, fine, take it away. Under the sovereignty of God, Satan brings distress. Satan brings conquering. Satan brings war into the life of the world and the life of the church. And so this first horse comes out attempting to conquer and bent on conquest, it says there. We've seen this word conquer and conquest seven times already throughout the book of Revelation. As the churches were called to overcome the temptations that existed, to buy into false teaching, as they were told to overcome the temptations to sexual sin, as they were told to overcome whatever temptations came to them that would cause them to give up or to compromise on the truths of the gospel. And yet here we see it as this first writer that is intent on overcoming. And our hope in this is the knowledge that Jesus calls us to overcome because he has already overcome the world. And so this conqueror comes out being given authority by the sovereign God, attempting to conquer, but bent on defeat. And so the lamb opens the second seal and the the second living creature calls forth the next horse and the next rider. And this horse comes forth, excuse me, on a horse that is fiery red. That word can also be translated blood red. And this rider is given power. He's given the sword because he takes peace from the earth to make men slay each other. The first horse bent on conquest pictures not only Satan moving out in order to attack the church, but shows how he does that through nation attempting to slay and invade nation. This rider on the horse reminds us that oftentimes Satan brings destruction upon his people and upon the earth by causing conflict between man and man, man and woman, husband and wife, father and children. Do we live in a world where we are at odds with each other? Maybe not slaying each other, but oftentimes through our interactions in words or on social media, wishing death upon brothers and sisters, fellow countrymen and women because of different stances they take. The author here tells us that this is part of the enemy's tactics against the church of God to bring conflict, to bring anger, to bring hostility among humans as they as they interact throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout their lives. And so the second rider comes forth bringing conflict, bringing anger, bringing hatred among people. So the third lamb opens it or the lamb opens its third seal. Sorry, there's only one lamb. But the lamb opens its third seal, the the third living creature, that angelic being calls forth the next rider. And we see a black rider or a black horse with a rider that is holding a pair of scales in his hands. And then another voice calls out and says, 
a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. Some of your, some of your uh, uh, translations may say a denarius. A denarius during the day was, was what a worker could get for a day's wages and what that day's wages would buy under the influence of the rider on the black horse is enough food to feed one person for a day. Imagine yourself with your whole family standing in Subway and you're looking at the menu there and you're, you're looking at your bank account and you, remember, you, you finally realize that, that for all of my family that's standing here, I can afford a six-inch sub to feed my entire family. And for that day, they have to divide up the six-inch sub from Subway. That's the picture here. It's a, it's a picture of rampant inflation and economic policy go awry. Luxury items, though, are preserved. There's a little bit of greed mixed in with this as well as we begin to see economies. Sorry, I forgot the word there. As we begin to see economies turned against the people that they are designed to serve, inflation goes rampant in the world. And then finally, we see the fourth rider called forth as the seal is broken. Most of your translations say pale horse, but pale is actually that that sickly green color. You ever remember one of the first times I ever got an infected toenail and it got lanced? That color. That color is the color of the horse. And who was on the horse but death himself? And Hades follows behind, swallowing lives. Death comes riding quickly into a world that is marked by war, that is marked by hostility, that is marked by economic struggle and famine. And he comes in, swallowing up lives. Taking, as we're told, a a fourth of the life from the earth by sword, by famine, by plague, and by wild beasts of the earth. And what we are told here as we look at these four seals is that it seems in this world as though death reigns. Death may reign through nations seeking to conquer and to invade nation. And about the time we get that mess cleaned up and we think we have just a little bit of peace, about half an hour later, another nation decides to invade another nation. And then death reigns through hostility between brother and sister, between father and son, between neighbor and neighbor. As hostility grows, that hostility can explode into death and bloodshed. Think of the American Civil War in the 1760s. What, half a million brothers killed in national hostility, family fighting family literally, in war and bloodshed. And then oftentimes, if war and bloodshed isn't enough, following war, following bloodshed, you have famine. Think of Germany in the middle 20th century as as they were literally taking wheelbarrows full of cash to buy loaves of bread. Think of our own economy now as we just print and print and print and throw more money at the problem. We Bread has gone up significantly. Gas has gone up at least 50%, if not more. 
over this time period that we've just printed money trying to throw it at the problem. And ultimately that causes famine, which leads to death. We, we sit here and we look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse and we go, Lord, I hope you come take me out of this world before these things happen. These things are happening right now. And yet the hope that we have in this is found in chapters four and five, that Jesus is sovereign over all of this and not a drop of this death that comes through war, through hatred, through famine, through disease, through natural disasters. Not a drop of that can harm the head of the child of God. Jesus tells us, told his disciples in, in Luke chapter 21, as he's answering that question, when will these things come to pass? He said, all these things are going to happen to you, but don't worry. God will not allow a, a hair on your head to be harmed. But Ike, we read Voice of the Martyrs, we listen to the news and we hear of Christians killed in wartime, Christians killed by disease. How can you say that not a hair of their head has been harmed? Because, brothers and sisters, for the child of God, this is not the end. Our hope is not this earth. As we talked about in Sunday school today, Paul says all the sufferings that I go through on earth here are nothing compared to the glory that awaits, the weight of glory that awaits for the children of God. And so as we open these four seals, as we see them opened, we look at our world and we see war, we see hostility, we see famine, we see death. And we take hope. We take hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what does this hope lead us to? How do we live in the face of ongoing and ever increasing war and cultural hostility, economic hardship and death? In the New Testament, I see three main ways in which we live in the face of these things. Number one, remember your Christology. In the study of systematic theology, it's broken up into different subjects. Theology proper is the study of God the Father. Pneumatology is the study of God the Spirit. Anthropology is the study of humanity. Christology is the study of Christ. It's the study of Jesus. It's the study of the life, the death, the resurrection, the work of Jesus on behalf of sinful humanity. And the Christology that we look to specifically when we think about the death and destruction that comes to our world is the Christology of Revelation 4 and 5. The Lamb who is triumphant and who was triumphant through his death and through his resurrection is the place where we find hope. And as we remember our Christology, as we get it right, we worship like that picture that we are given in Revelation 4 and in Revelation 5. Yes, we weep at the horrors that go on in our, war, in our world, the horrors of war, the horrors of hostility, the horrors of, of natural disaster and famine and inflation. But we worship the God who is sovereign over all of those things. Are we worried about Russia invading Ukraine and the, and the danger that that brings to our world? We are called to remember that Jesus executes the office of king by subduing us and himself and in ruling and defending us and in restraining and conquering 
all of his and our enemies. The powers and principalities of this world will seek to overcome the church, but Jesus tells us not to fret about that because Jesus has overcome the world. So we remember our biblical Christology. Secondly, we remember to rejoice. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into faith, into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in our suffering. We're told later on in Paul's letters that, that our sufferings fill up what is necessary. We'll learn with the fifth seal it is open was as the saints move forward to God, the saints in heaven and say, how much longer, O Lord, does the church have to suffer until you vindicate yourself and you show us to be faithful to a watching world? And the voice that answers from the throne says, as soon as the sufferings of the church are full, the world will see. Brothers and sisters, we rejoice because when we suffer, the level of that container gets a little bit fuller, a little bit closer to the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we will finally see all these things. And it's a reminder that he is sovereign over it all and that he has been through it all. So we remember our biblical Christology. We remember to rejoice and we remember to be holy. What do we do when we suffer these four Horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, Peter tells us to be holy. First Peter 1 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work and partially live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear, for you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from our forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter is much like the first Peter is much like the book of Revelation. It was written to a church that was suffering and didn't know what to do in the midst of suffering. And Peter's first call to that church is to be holy, not go have a pity party, not go call your friends and hug it out and cry it out and and just have a good old time. But be holy. I've been astounded as we've gone through Revelation. The first call on the church in the midst of suffering is to worship and to be holy. Odd calls to me because that's not what I think about when I suffer. I want to be comforted when I suffer, but but the scripture tells us that comfort comes through worship and the pursuit of holiness. The cross has forgiven us of our sin. It has broken the power of sin over you and I in our lives. And thanks be to God that I am righteous before God. But the cross has also purchased my pursuit of holiness in this life. And in pursuing holiness, in worshiping, in rejoicing, I am comforted in the midst of a world that seems to be under anybody's control other than God. 
How do we be holy in the midst of a hostile world? Later on in his letter, Peter tells us to return good for evil. Somebody mean to you because what do you believe? Is somebody mean to you or or persecuting you because of the cross of Christ? Buy them a cup of coffee. Offer to watch their house while they're on vacation. Find ways to serve them that shows God's love to them because God poured out his saving love when you were seeking his destruction through sin. And Jesus goes on in Matthew 5 to tell us that we are to love and to pray for those who persecute us. Jesus calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In that monthly prayer guide that I send out to you in your email, there's a place for you to write down three people that you are praying for who need to hear and to accept the good news of the gospel of reconciliation. Is one of those people someone who has made fun of you for what you believe? The Christ-like life in a world that seeks to conquer the church should be marked by worship, rejoicing, and holiness. The other thing that the book of Revelation tells us about this is that when all of these things happen, this is a call to repentance. We'll see in the sixth seal, the sixth trumpet, and the sixth bowl that there are a group of people who, as they go through the sufferings of life on this earth, as they see natural disaster, as they see war, as they see pestilence, as they see all the horrors of living in a, in a world that's groaning under anticipation of redemption, they refused to repent. Somebody asks you, why do bad things happen to good people? Jesus says in Luke 13, you're asking the wrong question. When you see bad things happen to any people, have you repented? Brothers and sisters, I encourage you as we as we watch the news, as we as we read about natural disasters, as we see pestilence move its way throughout the world. Have you repented? Have you looked at God's law and seen where it shows the darkness of your heart? And have you said, Lord, please take that from me. I hate that. Take it from me and make me more like you. As we live life in a broken and fallen world, we are reminded that the Christ-like life in a world that seeks to conquer the church should be marked by worship, by rejoicing, and by holiness. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we, we, are, we are worried as we watch the news, as we read the news, as we, as we see relationships fall apart around us, as we as we, as we watch prices go up, as we see necessities become more and more ex, expensive, we are, we are tempted to worry. Forgive us for when we give in to that. And help us to remember that the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb who was slain and yet lives, reigns sovereign over all of that. And as he reigns sovereign over all of that, he protects his children, his people, so that not a hair on our head will be harmed as we seek to navigate the difficulties of this life. And Lord, as we remember that, help us to remember to worship, to rejoice, and to repent as we move toward holiness. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
as you carry the glory of God to work, to home, to play with you this week, take this blessing upon you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. We seek the eternal peace of the return of God. So we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you.